Welcome to Your Music Saved Us, where we revisit 90s Christian albums that impacted us in some way and see if they still hold up. My name is Jay, and I'm Clifton. Great. And Clifton, what are we going to be listening to this week? Uh, we're listening to the breakout smash hit All-Star United by All-Star United. All right. And uh, Clifton, just to start off, like, how did this make you feel? Um, honestly, relieved. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, not everything that I listened to outside of punk was as bad as DC Talk or Stephen Curtis Chapman. Okay. Out of all our choices, how did we end up listening to this one? Yeah, for some reason, I really wanted to do this. I, I honestly barely have any exact memories associated with this album from the late 90s, but I remember it being good. And, you know, I think first I wanted to see if it would spark any memories. And also I wanted to see if I was crazy for thinking this album isn't bad. And I will go on the record and say, I'm pretty sure this was my first time listening to this. Ever? The only other time would have been maybe it was played in you know like a store or in a video or something in background wow. but i don't think i ever directly listened to this okay yeah give us give us some background on the band i did a little digging too but what did you find yeah so all-star united uh, formed in 1996 uh seemingly by the lead vocalist ian escalin and according to my math he was about 27 at the time he and guitarist brian whitman are the only two who have been in the band from the beginning they released this album, their first one, obviously, uh, the next year on in February of 1997. They went on to release five albums and a best of album and don't look to have been active since about 2009. Ian Escalin uh, also has a solo career um, and seems to have a very successful career as a producer. Interestingly, his solo career before All-Star United, it was some sort of like techno or electronica or something like that, but I couldn't find any of that music. Oh, I did. <laughs> oh, awesome. His album, or his solo name was Ian, and his album was called Supersonic Dream Day, is on Spotify. Um, okay. <laughs> and it was... Isn't that one from after, after All-Star United? No, though? this is 1994, according to Wikipedia. Okay. So, so Spotify just had that date wrong. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure which one's right. I feel like it's before based on his outfit and the font and the style but <laughs> it was interesting i listened to like one or two songs and was like i can't i can't do this but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um and he was touring big time with that like i mean australia united kind of formed out of the 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 backing band that he was touring with that makes sense okay yeah so and he he was touring my understanding with like michael w smith and and and, and guys like that so um thinking back for you when did this come into your life what are your kind of first memories with it i remember my church had a concert with seven day jesus and all-star united and i i don't know if it was just them two or if it was now this isn't part of my memory but looking back that may have actually been a third day tour where seven day jesus and all-star united were opening for them which makes more sense um you know this was after i was already into punk and all that i was definitely too too cool for school and did not want to go to this concert I think one of my friends uh, went, drug me there because they wanted to see Seven Day Jesus. I on uh, you know I don't remember um, a lot of the concert except sitting in the balcony of the sanctuary and being annoyed at being there. That's about it. <laughs> okay, so wait, 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 wait. You went to the concert and yes. you didn't like them when you saw them live. 
I know. I'm, I was annoyed to be there, like, before things started. Oh, okay. But yeah, then you sorry. saw them play, and you were a little like, oh, this is good? I guess I bought the album because I had it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so not as many direct memories of the concert, but somehow you got the album Yes, probably that night, maybe, or probably. after that, and really liked it at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Anything when you when you revisited it, was there anything that really kind of brought back memories or songs that stood out to you or any just any, you know, particular memories from the <laughs> album? Um, listening to the album was an experience. And oh, I remember this song. <laughs> I, I, I remembered a few looking at the track list. But no, no, it really didn't. Honestly, literally, the, the only thing I remember about this is that I don't remember buying it. I don't, I don't remember listening to it. I remember having listened to it, but I don't remember listening to it that makes sense mm -hmm. so when you kind of like put it on or before you played it i guess like mm -hmm. did you have any expectations were you thinking it'd be great terrible like what were your expectations my expectations i i thought i, I thought this would not be horrible i i remember liking it i remember it being you know pretty catchy poppy thing so really my only expectation was i, I think i told you this last week is that, that it would be uh i thought it would be would be better than action slacks you know which is a pretty poppy band and i think i was right i think it is better than action slacks not a lot by any means but it, it's it's a solid album i think okay i'm gonna disagree with you on the action slacks thing okay. but i think i may be a bigger action slacks fan than you um <laughs> and you're definitely a bigger all-star united fan than i am <laughs> but we'll talk more about it in a second any other kind of impressions from when you started or should we kind of jump into some of the songs you know, on, on, like I said, on, on first listen, you know, it triggered a lot of, oh, I remember this song. Another one of my first thought was, their first thoughts was, if these guys made, you know, really cl clever music videos on treadmills and in slow motion, would they be popular and shared all over social media? Okay. I, that one I could see. Yeah. Good point. This would fit yeah, that I'm, kind of thing. I'm not saying they're great, but they're as good as OK Go, right? I mean, OK Go is not great. Fair. Fair. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not groundbreaking. It's just a pop album and it's a good pop album. And one thing I did take away, I guess, is that nobody should be embarrassed for liking this album. Okay. Yeah. I'll, and I'll say as someone at the time who never listened to this, I think probably because I was, uh, well, a little like you were talking about, I was being a snob about it and it was like, <laughs> you know, it came out on, I think what reunion records, which was mm -hmm. not known for other than the prayer chain. I realized the prayer chain was on like a, sub-label of them so mm -hmm. but other than that i don't know that they put out a lot of like like michael w smith i'm pretty sure was on reunion records so oh yeah i'm sure i was a judgy at the time and probably looked at it and just thought um especially if you look at some of the band's promo photos it was not mm -hmm. <laughs> not yeah, making his, you want to listen to it <laughs> his his the lead, lead singer's bleached blonde hair is not inspired right right so i never gave it a chance but i would I'll talk more about my opinions as we go on, but I don't think you're completely wrong on some of this. So yeah, um, and I do wonder how much of that is related to bad marketing because you're you're right that this is very much marketed towards. I mean, it came out on reunion, and at the time, I think I had the same reaction. I was like, "Well, this is you know, it was being marketed towards the same people who like Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman." And I wonder if it was marketed differently, if it, if it would have gotten different listeners. I think that's a really good point, because at this point in the 90s, this came out in 97, right? 
So at this point, you had already had kind of more of the alternative tooth and nail, some of the other labels that were really yeah. kind of pushing the boundaries in Christian music, getting quite a bit of success. And so mm -hmm. then it felt like all the more mainstream Christian labels were trying to trying to put out their own yes. whatever punk band, rock band, whatever. And like, you know, you even saw DC Talk had gone like with Jesus Freak to something like we're mm -hmm. alternative rock. And like, it right. just seemed to be this huge shift. So then it seemed like every label was trying to find their own band that that fit that. Um, and a lot of them were pretty terrible. And I unfortunately, <laughs> I never really gave this a chance because it just I assumed it was that. Right. Which at the time, I don't think was a bad assumption. Right. Fair. Because uh, most of the time... <laughs> They were there were a lot of very bad. Oh, look at our alternative band bands out there. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, agreed. Yes. <laughs> All right, well let's let's dig in. All right, let's talk about even just the the first song that yeah. opens with uh, La La Land. What are kind of yeah. What are your thoughts, memories on that one? So this is the only song I remember from the album. Like I I could have sung the chorus to this song from memory from the nineties before listening to the album again, but that's it. And I, I didn't honestly even remember it musically, but you know, it's, 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 it's not bad. It starts off, you know, with a very light kind of uh, Brit poppy piano. The question isn't whether it's true. The question isn't working for you. Some catchy vocals and some weird lyrics, which I like. Then as the song progresses, the rest of the band joins in, kind of kind of subdued. I think what really clinches this song for me is when the when you, the, we have a kind of a groovy synth enter at the chorus. Well, I got no time to find out which, which was a kind of kind of a nice touch, and, and honestly, not something that you heard in Christian music at, the, at that time that much. Yeah, I mean, I think even the beginning, kind of with the piano, kind of pop stuff, was not a normal no thing at the time in Christian music. I'll be honest, when I for I mean, the first time I listened to this a couple weeks ago in preparation for this, within the first twenty seconds, and I'm sure it was because it's piano. Also, know that <laughs> I don't listen to this style of music as much as you do, um, but I just thought then folds. Yes, yeah, so that was one of my first. Okay, good. That makes me feel better. And then as, as it went on, not as much, but the first kind of right. like 20, 30 seconds of the song, I was like, oh, mm -hmm. huh. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely Ben Folds stuff going on here. There's definitely some Beatles type stuff going on here. And honestly, it, it made me really realize. And, and so what, what, when the when the song really gets going, you know, the first second verse comes in, we get a nice fuzzy guitar and it's all out 90s Britpop. You can blessing yourself. Right. And which is interesting because obviously there's a lot of and not and, and this, this is going to sound mean to Christian music, but it's it's said often you know is that Christian music is always looking for a Christian version of something else. But that's kind of true in all music is that people have influences and they're influences by the bands they like. But we have plenty of people being grunge, which was popular in the early '90s. We have plenty of people being punk, which was popular in the early to mid '90s. But you know, something very popular on the radio at the time, you know, is Blur and Oasis, this this honestly really good Britpop stuff. And who else in the Christian market was doing that than other than Australia United? Yeah, none that I'm aware of. It's a good point. And I think, and we may talk more about this in a minute, but I'll say that the thing that I also kind of thought was interesting about this album was lyrically, I thought it was quite a bit better. Well, yes. definitely better than I expected it to be. But I'll be honest, yeah. my expectations were low. <laughs> Uh, and there's a few songs where I, the lyrics are still kind of oh, terrible. Absolutely. But some of them, including this one, I thought like were pretty clever. 
and I appreciated kind of what he was trying to do. Yeah, they're they're fresh lyrics too. They're 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 a little bit zany, you know. They're they're which are things that I like. I, I like kind of nonsense lyrics that end up still making a point, and that is something you very much get with this. You know, it, it starts off. I have other lyrics here because I, I really like the lyrics in this song. They're very sarcastic. Mm-hmm, right. Um, starts off with the question isn't whether it's true. The question is it working for you marshmallow skies and custardy pies and nothing's too hard to do they're five happy verses or so they told me all i needed to know ignore all the rest trials and tests and threats to my comfort zone it's definitely gonna be it's definitely singing signals already that's gonna be christian but it's at least it's it's a little bit weird it's 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 not just a praise song right yeah and it's like it's poking fun at that christian culture <laughs> that had really again by 97 kind of really developed. Yes. And it's weird for me because I'm like thinking of this album again with kind of my preconceived notions at the time. I was like, "Oh my god, this I always thought this band was like a key part of that. Like they seemed to fit in <laughs> with that, but when you really listen to it, yeah, they're kind of more poking fun at that." And I think my understanding is he or the whole band lived in Nashville, and so that <laughs> must have been rough. <laughs> in some yes. ways dealing with this all the time they're in the middle of not only a huge music scene but also like the, the kind of the christian the ccm scene at the time right not that there was a scene and like there were like kids playing shows everywhere but my point is like the i'm not in fact let me just replace the word scene with industry there you go yeah and you know he had been in at least in the christian industry for a few years before that with the other stuff he's doing so right. it makes a lot of sense the lyrics yeah, so so the lyrics are are witty, they're they're sarcastic, and you know they seem to be bringing a critique of some sort, right? Right. And what I couldn't figure out is if they were a critique of the secular world or of you know American evangelicalism of, of the time. And honestly, so the second what really confuses me is like the second work verse kind of wants it both ways. You can name a blessing yourself, stake a claim on power and wealth, and strong healthy teeth, a, th- a spot at the beach, and romance that's really swell. All the saints and martyrs alive, well, they would have called a national strike, demanded less pain, more personal gain, if only they'd known their rights. So the first part there to me is a very, seems like a critique on the secular world, whereas the second part seems like a critique on the Christian world, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. I felt like most of it was kind of more aimed at the Christian world. Yeah. And kind of poking fun at that. But you're right, he does jump around a little bit on this one. (laughs) My Jesus decal does quite a trick. Right above my dashboard, I stick it. A good look charm. It keeps me from harm. It saves me from speeding tickets. Right. It, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty a pretty fun critique. And that was <laughs> definitely. I mean, that time period, everybody had you know those fish decals and stuff on their mm-hmm. car. This is definitely a product of that time. So here's what I came to in my rush to figure out if this was aimed at the secular world or at Christians. I realized that I forgot a very popular target of the time. Yes. Fake. Christians. Ah, there we go. People who are nominally Christian, but not dedicated in the same way or to the same level as the holier than thou writers of this song. (laughs) Now, that's a very good point. And I think we'll probably be talking about that a lot. Yes. With other albums as well, because that was a very strong kind of theme running through the music and people's heads (laughs) at this time of like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm a stronger one than you are because I do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of gross, honestly. <laughs> I mean, not just from a cultural standpoint, but doesn't the Bible also say not to judge people? I mean, come on. The only the only way you can say, hey, you're a fake Christian is if you're sitting in judgment of this person, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like people that so, weren't 
people that didn't experience this are going to have maybe have a hard time understanding what we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. But it was, I went to see if I could find comment from the band about what the song's about. And sadly, I, I did find something. <laughs> Um, this is from a, a, a interview with the drummer from a Jesus Freak Hideout interview. He said, It's plainly and simply about the people who claim to be Christians and think that because they are, that they can sit back and just wait on God to give them everything. They live in this euphoric place we call La La Land. Yeah, that really <laughs> hits the nail on the head for kind of some of the ideas at the time of just, it's not enough to just be a Christian and, and say, you know, I believe in this. You've got to like prove it and somehow, which is weird, right? Because the whole point of Christianity and, and that belief mm -hmm. system is saying, you know, you don't earn your salvation. It's, it's all to God. And yet everybody was trying to prove to everyone else how much more devout they were. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> It's... Yeah, and which I find ironic in a certain sense because, you know, this song starts off witty and sarcastic and is going to poke fun at the problems with Christianity at the time or in Christian culture at the time. But then it falls right into the trap of what I remember being the grossest part of Christian culture at the time, which is this separating the other people into this group of, hey, you're not as holy as me. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'll just stop there. <laughs> yeah. Because and and, honestly, we're going to talk about it for the rest of the album. Right. So yeah. let's talk about the rest of the album. All right. Let's go. Uh, I think you wanted to talk about the next song, right? Bright Red Carpet. Yeah. Bright Red Carpet. I don't have a lot to say about it. I do remember that this song was very popular in my youth group. But why? Well, on a, I'll tell you on a simple, and you know, listen, I did kind of like how they shout Bright, bright Red Carpet. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is getting good. And then it kind of toned it down again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I liked that. My first listen of, of the song, I was just kind of like, oh, that's kind of a throwaway song. And then the more I listened to it, I was like, well, you know, it's a good song. But then it got stuck in my head for two weeks. And fuck <laughs> this song. I mean, <laughs> sorry. It has been stuck in my head. I don't know why. It's kind of a throwaway song, honestly. It has nice guitars, but that's about it. It's kind of blah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's stuck in my head too, strangely enough. Out of all the songs on here, I think this one stuck in my head the most. And I I guess it's just kind of an earworm. Maybe so, um, yeah. But the lyrics on this one, it's kind of, I felt like it was the same kind of message a little bit. Mm -hmm. Slightly different style. This one is being a little, honestly, a little more preachy yes. with stuff, but kind of the same thing of like, you know, you can't just put on an act. You've got to be, you know. Yeah, they come, out, they come right out and say in this song, they say... You try so hard and get what you get, but in your heart, I hope you never forget a selfish soul will never stroll on red Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Be holy as me. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> yeah. I noticed um, somewhere on one of the pages I was reading about this band, I think they made a video for this song. Oh, really? And I think this might have been the only video they made on the album, which I thought that the biggest song on this was smash hit although maybe i'm thinking that just because of the title <laughs> but maybe this may have been the big single that they tried to push i'm not sure maybe so like i said i remember this song being huge in my youth group i don't remember anything else being huge but i remember this song getting played like you know before and after youth youth group stuff i don't know why it, it, it to me it's a throwaway song that's okay let's talk about the next one i know you wanted to, to talk about drive i guess this is a fourth yes. song 
on the album. Yeah, so hearing this song, I, I remember liking it. I don't, I didn't remember it until I heard it again. I, but I remember liking it, not because it's an amazing song, but I, probably because of the lyrics mostly. I, I, I remember always, or maybe I should say often, wanting to be somewhere else other than where I was in small town North Texas. Right. But it's, just, it's a slower song that generates some real feels, I think. It's about a friend offering to help someone else get away from it while they're obviously being overcome by something. And I think it's kind of a sweet song, and I think the music matches that and backs it up for most of the song uh lyrically i felt like we shifted because it's it's not it's not so judgy <laughs> are you sure <laughs> oh no did, did i miss some judgment in this yes. one? Oh boy yeah. all right what did i miss <laughs> pay attention to the bridges and all star united songs because that's where they make their points because it is about a friend helping a friend get away when they're overcome and then there's this bridge i've been following a narrow lane you follow yours where it winds. Now it's time to get in gear. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So they've even admitted I'm sticking on the narrow path. Yeah. <laughs> but you, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're just all over the place. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I got to be honest, Clifton, as we're going through it, like, so musically, I didn't, I'll just say it as we're going through this. Musically, I didn't just love the album, but I did thought, think parts yeah. were catchy. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And I thought the lyrics, I was like, this is better than I thought lyrically. But now that we're dissecting it deeper, I'm thinking, <laughs> kind of rethinking that. Yeah, I mean, but lyrically it is better than 98% of the other Christian music at the time. Uh, Which well, shows how yeah. bad it was. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Uh, honest and also the end of this song is just two minutes of guitar solo. Which took it from being like this tight pop song to just a I got I got tired of it. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Yeah. Would um teenage Clifton have liked that or would he have been tired no, of it too? God, no. Okay. No. <laughs> Teenage Clifton has the same opinion about guitar solos as as, as 39-year-old Clifton does. Okay. Let's go on to Smash Hit, then. Let's talk about that one. Yeah. I do want to mention the song Torn, because mm -hmm. it's super boring. That's all. <laughs> they stuck it kind of right in the middle, maybe, just to, yeah. you know. Which, Smash Hit reminded me that I used to think a lot about the strategy of song placement on albums. Mm -hmm. It also made me realize something else. You ready for this? Okay. When this album was released in 1997... 1997 was closer to the time when vinyl was the primary source of media than 1997 is to today. Wow. Okay. True. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Which makes me feel really old. <laughs> yeah. Song, because, but song order is still important, even though everybody uses Spotify and everything today. But if you listen to it in the way it's meant to be, it's still, it's still important. But this is important because this is side two, track one. Mm, good point. Okay. That is why the vinyl thing occurred to me, because this is the beginning of the good half of the album. Because the first half of it is honestly kind of boring. <laughs> okay, all right. So, yeah. so tell us about this song. Yeah, so this song, honestly, is the first one to bring back clever lyrics we've heard since La La Land. It has good hooks, it's a good, catchy song. It's mostly, honestly, just a standard 90s alternative anthem. All he needed was PR, a million bucks of business cards. But a, honestly, a fairly good one. Um, I mean, not great by any means, but good. It brings some nice quirkiness to the music. Uh, first of all, through the lyrics. Um, in the second verse, there's there's a, a, some, two lines that say, join his name to any cause, drop his name to get applause. That's good. That's pretty dark. Right. Pretty biting. 
Um, there's also a line in the chorus that says, all stocks have split. All stocks have split. Who is that line written for? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm sure teenage me had no idea what yeah. the hell they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for all you Wall Street guys listening to this album, all the stocks have split. That's how popular this is. Uh, <laughs> this may, rewrite that line. Yeah, this, Just rewrite this that is line, one guys. of those lines where we couldn't come up with anything else that rhymed. Um, right. So, yeah. But come on. These guys did have the backing of a label with some actual resources. Sit someone down to replace that line. Just <laughs> There's some there's some la la laws, you know, that 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 kind of catch you off guard and their silliness. La, la, la. There's a bridge after the second chorus. It has like this talking part. Is it supposed to be like cake? I don't know. Do you, do you remember that part? Um, which lines is it? I'm looking at the lyrics right now. I like that line. It smells like exploitation. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they make some really good good points in the song. Musically, I don't just love it. It's not as catchy no. as some of the others, for me at least. But lyrically, it's good. There's a chorus right after the bridge, which I really love. It's the best musical moment on the album for me. This Jesus thing, it's a smash hit. It drops down to just the guitar, which is kind of doing the compressed telecastery thing. Um, and a synth that comes in with like a whirt whirt kind of arpeggiated thing. It's cute. I like it. I like cute music, and I wish they'd done more of this kind of thing more often. Okay. <laughs> but what is this song trying to say? Once again, it may be too tongue-in-cheek for its own good. Right. I want to kind of explore the lyrics again on this song. So the first verse seems to be advice given to Jesus, I think, from a modern business perspective on how to get noticed. So if it was written today instead of 1997, it w- we would mention TikTok, not business cards, probably. Okay, right. Right. <laughs> The, the, the verse is pretty simple. Uh, this Jesus thing, it's a smash hit. It's gone worldwide. But the second verse is, is biting in its cynicism and its accusation. I'm going to actually read it. Join his name to any cause. Drop his name to get applause. They'd never get enough. Nothing to be ashamed of. Which is true enough from, uh, from Kanye West to Donald Trump. I think that's, that's pretty true. Right. He said, who's more famous? I said, Jesus Christ. And I don't mean the Kanye West who ran for president. I'm in the music, uh, the musician Kanye West. Right. Yeah. Uh, then it continues on. Those ever loyal fans, they want to get their hands on his newest merchandising, ignoring overpricing. It has no explanation. It smells like exploitation. Yeah, I like this part. And to be honest, it would mean more if it were coming from a band who didn't get just preachy in the other songs about how they were holier than right. their friends. <laughs> yeah, it, actually, that last line is the only time that an opinion, honestly, seems to be inserted into the song. Right. Other than the fact that it's all opinion because it's, you know, but, you know, it's the first time they, it's an overt opinion in the song. Yeah, like I think a non-Christian band could have written this, this song. My, that was my exact reaction to this, is that if this was written by a non-Christian band as a critique of Christianity at the time, it'd be a good song. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. But it means, it means less when you pair it with some of the other songs we've already talked about. Yeah. <laughs> Also, both the vocals and the lyrics remind me a little bit of Five Iron Frenzy. 
Hmm. In fact, I think Five Iron Frenzy has a song that's almost identical to this in some of its accusations. Uh, well, I, I could see that. That This is yeah. kind of some of the same themes. So Yes, and Five Iron Frenzy did it better. <laughs> Honestly, because they were standing on more solid ground as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about them soon. We probably will. All right, let's go to Beautiful Thing. That was the next one on your list. I remember that once again, listening to it, I'm like, oh, I remember this song. Um, so interestingly, this is the most listened to song on this album on Spotify. Huh. It's a good song. It's, you know, I think this one is and the other one before it, uh, Savior of My Universe. Although they're kind of different songs, I think they have this kind of Bare Naked Ladies uh, vibe going to them um, lyrically. Not that Bare Naked Ladies is that good either. But it's very of its time, is, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> the second line, because I'm a scary conic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means. I think it's I want a Pavarotti voice because I'm a scary conic. I think he's referencing Harry Connick Jr., but he's saying oh. his voice is not that good. I guess is what I'm, I think he's trying to say. Wow, that is topical. Yeah, <laughs> for 15 year old Christian. Yeah, this you know it's a good point. This goes back to the thing you were saying earlier. He's referencing some stuff that I think most people are not going to. It it just it's not the right age. And part of me is wondering actually how old he was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he wrote this, um, yes. I'm looking back. Well, at I his... mean, he was 27 when he wrote this. That is older than most of his fans are going to be. Yes. I mean, he sounds like 27 going on like 40, but you know, right. <laughs> but he had been in the industry, you know. He is in Nashville, as you, as you mentioned. So he is in the midst of of all these things, and so he probably has a more day to day experience of this than anybody else. We're assuming this song in the chorus, A Beautiful Thing to Be Loved by You, we're assuming he's talking to God. Is that right? Oh, yes. So this one and the one, bo one before, Savior My Universe, are definitely the most love songy to God songs on the album. Okay. Bare Naked Lady Love Songs, Love Songs to God, according to my notes here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I do want to go back and mention Savior of My Universe, that the o the acoustic kind of guitar opening of this song, um, especially some of the vocal turns in it, made me think of the Shin of Young Pilgrims by The Shins. I don't propose that we preserve All the world inside a fragile ball of glass Okay. So I went back and listened to Young Pilgrims again to see if there were any direct comparisons. And my conclusion is, holy fuck, the shins are good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the shins totally ripped off All-Star United. No, the shins are so good. <laughs> um, but, but no, the reason I bring it up is because this album's good, but then I went and compared it to the shins, and there's just so many beautiful things going on in the most simple moment of that shins album that it is this album is nothing compared to that Th this album is something that i could write in my bedroom compared to one of the not better shins albums <laughs> that that's good I, I wanted to say that <laughs> well i get i mean i think this is one of those albums that is it's not terrible um mm -hmm. it's not amazing but as a christian kid in the 90s you could do worse than this. Oh, yes. Much much worse. You could still be listening to Stephen Chris Chapman and Michael W. Smith. Right. DC Talk. This is better than all of those. That's positive. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You wanted to talk about the hidden track. Yes. 
So when I first heard this, my first reaction is, oh, it's, you know, it's like this hidden track in the vein of, um, of Velvet Underground. It's, it's a cute song, reminds me of Mo Tucker singing After Hours with Lou Reed on guitar. And I, so I was like, oh, it even has like this faux vinyl thing, uh, you know, added over the top of it to, to, to give it kind of this feeling. Won't you take this tip from me? You don't need vitamins A, B, C. You don't need calories. But it turns out that's all wrong. Why? I think I know what you're talking about, but tell us, why is that wrong? Yeah, so I, this is from an interview that, I think it's that same Jesus uh, Freak Hideout interview with the drummer. He says, that is Ian's aunt singing a song that Ian's grandfather wrote a long time ago. She was singing it into a play school tape recorder. Okay, so that's cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's influence to this song, but it's definitely not Lou Reed uh, with with Mo Tucker doing After Hours for, for the Velvet Underground. <laughs> <laughs> there's, um... I mean, I think it was trendy at the time to have hidden tracks. And and I oh, unfortunately, yes. I think that's something we've really lost because you can't. How do you do it now with Spotify mm-hmm. or something? And I think we'll talk about more. I know on the Poor Old Blue episode, we talked a little bit about the recording yeah. at the end, the voicemail. And I can think of some other kind of albums, you know, from this time that kind of had a, like a pretty cool hidden track in there. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk just a little bit about like just the packaging and things. I appreciate you shared with me a yeah. link that kind of had all of it laid out. Um, I mean, just my take is I actually think the packaging is pretty nice for an album at that time. I like the cover art. I like kind of the, the some of the photos and stuff that's in the, the layout. Mm-hmm. The CD itself kind of looks like a kind of like a bullseye target. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be. But again, for the time period with the color scheme and everything, I think it works. Yeah. I don't think it's bad. So, I mean, I kind of would give them good marks on all of that. I think the packaging is better than the album cover. I mean, it's kind of quirky and fun. It's a group of people. What do you think that is? Like a football game? I don't know. Something like that. It's like the stands at a yeah. an old, some kind of sporting event. One other thing, and this may just be me, like with the record, I thought the recording quality sounded fine. I kind of wonder if his vocals are a little too upfront in the mix, but then again, this is more that style, and I don't listen yeah. to a ton of this style a lot, but they, they're really out in front, which is fine, but it, that's noticeably different than some other stuff at the time period. I don't know if it's a, a stylistic thing so much as probably the record company, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that definitely mirrors kind of more contemporary Christian music mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, o- overall, nothing to really complain about no. for all that for me. So even in even to today, if I buy an album, I will turn it on and sit down with the with the packaging and look through it, you know, with while I'm, while I'm listening to it for the first time. And so I like having the lyrics there so I can reference them if I want to. Do you know anything about where they kind of are now? So I know that the lead singer Ian is a very successful producer. He is, I mean, I mean, he has he does several albums a year. He's won Dove Awards um, as a producer. I think that's the only one I know. So it's always interesting to me when artists like this will have kind of songs that are, you know, critiquing Christian culture at the time, but you can see mm-hmm. clearly he's made his whole career from Christian culture. You're right, he's won mm-hmm. Dove Awards, he's produced tons of, it looks like mostly just Christian albums and 
I don't know. Just curious about about that. I guess it didn't bother him enough. <laughs> I don't know. No, and that's you know something that we will encounter is a lot of people who have gone on to either leave the church or leave their faith entirely, but that is not the case here. Right. To be honest, and I guess we'll notice it more as we look at other albums, but just as a whole, I've kind of been surprised how many have not <laughs> left the faith. Yeah. Honestly, quite a few have stayed with it, which yeah. does surprise me with some of these. Did this album change your experience with music at all? I don't think this album specifically changed my experience with music, but I will say, kind of like I mentioned earlier, you know, I like cute music, which wasn't honestly something I discovered for another few years after this. But I think if I'd paid more attention to it at the time, I may have noticed that I like cute music and it may have, uh, you know, so I'm going with no, but maybe it should have. Well, it, it so going back to that interview that you found, it's funny, <laughs> and I think it's the drummer that's answering these yes. questions, and he says, what bands have influenced your sound? And he lists a lot, so I'm not going to cover them all, but he says stuff like Blur, Menswear, Supergrass, <laughs> Oasis, Pulp, Radiohead, Ash, uh, The Charlatans, Ride, <laughs> The Verve, Super Furry Animals, <laughs> and DC Talk. <laughs> and DC Talk, Yes. <laughs> It was a great turn. So I, it's almost like a joke. Yeah, like I can and I can see some of those, and I honestly can see the DC Talk thing too, just because of the culture yes. they were in. But some of that stuff was, yeah. I mean, I still think it's fairly obscure. Yeah, and especially at the time. So I mean, super furry animals, especially. I mean, that's yeah. right. <laughs> so it's kind of like, huh? Okay. Yeah, you know, if if I had had more sense about me and paid attention to the interviews and paid attention to people saying what they liked instead of being stuck in my own little bubble in Christian world in small town North Texas, then I probably would have uh, it probably would have influenced my music experience more, and it did not, which is sad. Well, though, and we'll talk more about this too, but it was not easy. I mean, this is the nineties. No. There's no, I mean, there was really beginnings of the internet, but it was more like, mm -hmm. Oh, I can send an email or like, and not even every label or band had a website. There really, as far as I remember, there was no way to order stuff online. No. And so you would, if a band mentioned a band, I know I would kind of try to keep it in mind um, or if they said thank you to a band, you know, some that had a cool name. And then if I saw it at the store, a lot of times I'd end up buying it. And occasionally at, you know, at some like non-Christian store, I'm a reference Hastings because I know you know what I'm talking about, but, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> people outside of Texas probably don't, but you know, at some non-Christian music store, if I see something like that, occasionally I would buy it too, just thinking, oh, you know, whatever band mentioned this. But yeah, if you're, if you're at a store and they don't have super furry animals, you're not going to find it in the 90s like no, that's just never. it and so you were yeah. at the mercy of whatever just happened to be in your local store and if you're like us <laughs> where we both kind of lived in towns i mean you talked about seeing all-star united but we were not getting a lot of shows you know and if we were it was no. stuff like a third day tour or newsboys or right. something like that and even that was an aberration. I remember I remember that not because I remember loving that show, but because that was out of highly out of the ordinary. Right. I can't I don't think we ever had another concert like that. Ever. Yeah, like in the time I, I mean was the stuff I remember one of my first concerts I remember going to was Whiteheart. <laughs> like these are not like nice. it's that kind of stuff that you would get. Newsboys I remember came a lot, you know, audio adrenaline, that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but nothing a little more edgy. And so there was no way to kind of find this stuff are you saying white heart is an edgy? <laughs> i thought it was when i went to the concert i think i was about yeah. 12 you know maybe even younger maybe even 11 <laughs> yeah and so you were limited you know and you would pick up magazines like 
I remember when I finally realized HM wasn't just metal and had some other stuff right, I liked, yeah. and that helped a lot. And then like Seven Ball came along and some of those. But before mm-hmm. that, there was kind of a gap. Yeah, I, I guess all that to say, I understand you. It would have been great to find some of those bands, but you just weren't going to. Yeah, and and honestly, like because you you couldn't download stuff. So if you wanted to listen to music, you had to buy the yeah. music. And one of the things that the Christian bookstore did is let you listen to albums like before you bought. Them. Yeah, which was a good fat thing they had there that they didn't have at most normal yeah. record stores at the time. Which is what I was about to say. Like I spent hours listening to music before I bought it at Christian bookstores. But if I went next door, which is what really, really how it was, uh, <laughs> the Hastings was next door to to the Christian bookstore in my hometown. If I went next door to Hastings, there were no albums that you could listen to without buying it. And I had $10 and I was not going to waste that $10 on something yeah, I'd heard before. No, it was a good point. I remember some Christian bookstores would be willing to open it up and then like reseal it with the shrink wrap. Yeah. If they yes. didn't have a demo of it. And so, yeah. Yeah, that was a really, there were a lot of, a lot of terrible things that came out of Christian bookstores, but that was a nice, <laughs> a nice memory. Yeah. <laughs> and one of my friend's mom actually worked at the, worked the music department, like where she was the music department manager at, at, at the Christian bookstore. And so we got to listen to anything we wanted to listen to. <laughs> We just, we, just, we just took it up here and like this. Nice. She's like, okay. <laughs> Whereas, like I said, on the other side, I never, I try to think back, like, why was it, why did I not get into non-Christian music? It wasn't that it was not available to me. It wasn't even that I wasn't interested. It was just that I had $10 to spend and I was not going to spend it on something I hadn't heard before because I, w- I would listen to an album two or three times before I even bought it at the Christian bookstore. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, totally. It was just you were you were very limited and there wasn't a lot of ways to find this stuff. Yeah, we got it. Hey, Clifton, what are we listening to next week? We are going to listen to Rocket and a Bomb by Mike Knott. Good. I have great memories of this album, so I'm curious your take <laughs> on this one. Yeah, I've never listened to it, so we are going to have an experience. Okay, good. I, I'll, all I'll say is you should do a little reading on it because it's, well, shit, I'm giving it away. Okay, I'll shut up. All right. Just, <laughs> I've never had to be preempted on an album. I'm like, before it, you listen it, to this, by the way, let well, me explain something. I'm sure you'll do the looking <laughs> when you start looking at the lyrics and you're like, huh. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Your Music Saved Us. If you enjoyed your time with us, please leave us a review or share this episode on the social media of your choice, where you can probably follow us at Your Music Saved Us, or email us at yourmusicsavedus at gmail.com. The music in this episode is the work of All Star United and is used with apologies, not permission. Please check out the show notes to find out how you can buy their stuff.